Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. After the fun and celebrations, all quiet and reflective time, this part of winter can be an uphill climb. How can we bring positive energy and our vulnerable selves into both work and personal spaces? To start the year in this gentle and profound way is my wonderful guest, Maya Kalaria. Maya is an author, consultant, educator, and astrologer. Her poetry book, Half Woman, Half Grief, explores the hero's journey through the underworld of death, grief, trauma, and rage after losing her mother at the tender age of nine. As a lifelong intuitive and student of mysticism, she's also a qualified Ori astrologer. Maya recently co-founded Energetic Conversations with Daniel Edmund, a consultancy company helping to heal the racial, gender, and mental health dynamics within company cultures. Her wide-ranging professional background includes mental health practitioner work with young people, domestic abuse work with women and children, solution-focused hypnotherapy, and retail management. As a self-identified Gujarati woman born in England, Maya speaks powerfully about the racism and colonial trauma she experienced as a result of her early life circumstances, as well as the mysticism her life became steeped in through these life-altering experiences. She believes strongly in healthy communication as a powerful tool for healing and is passionate about connecting to our ancestral indigenous roots wherever we originate from. She also speaks of the energy work that she's practiced for years and is at the core of everything she does. I'm so excited about this conversation. So Maya, a huge welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Oh, we're really excited. And I've just read out your bio, but I think it'd be lovely for listeners to hear about what you're working on at the moment. Sure. Um, So the main thing that I'm working on at the moment is um, a consultancy company that me and my business partner and very good friend Daniel set up recently. So we set it up a few months ago and it's called Energetic Conversations. Um, And we are a company that helps corporations heal from the roots through the lens of um, sexism, racism, mental health issues and any other things that need healing. So That's my main focus, but I do also have two other branches that kind of feed into into this too, but I I write a lot about grief. I have a a book out which came out in 2020 called Half Woman, Half Grief, um, which is about the death of my mother and how I healed from that and how I'm still healing from that. And it's a poetry book. Um, And then I'm also an astrologer. So there's like three different kind of branches to this book, but it kind of all feeds into um one thing which is healing it's really about healing yeah so amazing so I want to start with the first bit which is your consultancy work and how do you find um organizations that are really ready to have these conversations because my experience is people want solutions they don't necessarily want to heal and address certain wounds that are going on and I've just had a particularly poignant, poignant for me today because I've just had a really challenging session on race equity because the group was mixed in terms of white and global majority and the global majority staff rightly so was really really hurt and they said to me we don't like this we feel like it's a checkbox and then the white delegate said to me we don't want terminology we want examples and I thought wow this is fascinating so how do you actually connect with organizations that want to heal and understand what that healing means? That is a very good question. And because we're such a new company, we're still navigating that too, because we're very, very aware 
that it is a tick box exercise. Most people do see anything regarding EDI or under the EDI umbrella as tick box. And sadly, that is that is the reality of the situation. Um, for us, we were very aware of this. So on our website, we made it very clear that we wanted to work with leaders and only leaders who wanted to transform. Because if you don't want to transform, we don't have anything for you. <laughs> Because we're about the transformation and the transformative work. Um, we are currently talking to a company and we're about to confirm our first big kind of um, project with a company. But it has been very interesting to see the classic signs show themselves where they present in a way that they wish to transform. But then as you go further, those barriers go up and you get relegated into a smaller and smaller box and you're, there's more limitations on how you how much time you have to work with them, how much transformation is possible and what they're looking for as well. So it, I think there's a massive gap between what they think they where they think they're at and where they're actually at. So yeah, it's a, it's a complex one and I hear you and I, I'm not surprised by anything you've said. <laughs> no, because we see it all the time, don't we? Um, and then secondly, on your own personal journey, so your book, Half Woman, Half Grief and Navigating Grief. And for those people who have lost someone, and of course that looks different for everyone, but also for those of us who haven't lost someone, but the relationships have changed beyond repair, how do you navigate that? So how have you been able to heal this or start the healing journey and continue the healing journey because it's not easy it's definitely not easy and thank you for such a good question because not everyone has gone through the death of their loved one um unfortunately it's something that everyone will go through but you know not everyone went through it so early or um so far so in terms of losing people that are still alive that is incredibly painful because you have to grieve not only their absence while they're still alive but also who you were with that person, and that's a whole other situation. Um, I believe that personally, I think some relationships are irreparable, um, which is a really difficult thing to say, but I have found in my situation, especially regarding family members, that as I become more myself, there are people that fall away and it has been incredibly painful, but the rewards have been incredibly great too. So it's a double-edged sword. It's very bittersweet, but it, it, in, in my case, it's been worth it. Not everyone feels the same way, but you're not alone. That's what I would say. Thank you so much. And I think navigating grief as a child then, how did you do that? And re retrospectively, how did you engage with that inner child who needed support? So I don't know if you can see it. Well, you might be able to see, but behind me, there's a picture of my child self. Um, I, I don't know how clear it is, but I, I have a picture of my um, child self um, at a kind of uh, mini um, shrine with um, like statues of gods and goddesses. And I, I talk to my child self a lot and I restore her and I give her the, um, I imagine giving her the hug that she never had. Um, because when I when my mum died at the age of nine, um, my dad and my brother and I, we never spoke about it. And so not only was my grief completely buried and frozen, but um, I then had a very abusive white stepmother. Um, it's a very Cinderella mythological. It's, it's, it's crazy how mythological it is. And I do work with symbols and myths. So it's very interesting to see how these archetypes play out even in our lives. 
But I, I do, I, I go back and I imagine it in through meditation or when I'm trying to sleep at night, I will go and I will hug her and I will talk to her and I will just reassure her that I'm here. I'm the person now that she needed. So I will be that person for her. And I think also in dangerous situations, which are unsafe emotionally, I, I am the one who protects her. So I never had protection from family members, but now I stand up for myself because I'm really standing up for her. And so there has been a lot of complex work that I, I guess I'm trying to put in a nutshell, but it's, it's a lot deeper than um, what I could even describe right now, but it is possible because I'm here today. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Maya. And the stepmom stuff, and I know that she has a family history of racism in her family. Yeah. And how I can't even imagine the ways that must have manifested because, you know, when we grow up with our biological parents, particularly in South Asian communities, we know that anti-blackness is present in some form, whether it's immediate family, wider family. So we know that racism is always a present force, sadly, in our lives. And then to have, you might not agree with me using this word, but I really want to use this word, an interloper come in when you've been silenced. Um, how do you think you've managed to turn as well that pain into power? That is a very good question. And I, I really believe it came when I published my book. When the book came out, it was October 31st, 2020. And digging up the memories of my mom was digging up myself. It was like an excavation on every level. And so many things came to light during deep, just the process of publishing the book and preparing for people to see the most vulnerable side of me. Um, and that's when I ended up stopping speaking to my stepmom I actually asked her not to go to the book launch and she had you know very narcissistically had a very emotional response and made it about her and I realized I was right I was right to to do what I did um and then just speaking to people like yourself ever since just talking about my story sharing it on Twitter Instagram sharing my book that's how I came to life as well um, just from being heard and seen in a way that I've never been heard and seen since my mum was alive. So to me personally, it was about speaking my story, speaking my truth. It, there's nothing that's been more powerful for me. Oh, thank you, Maya. That's so lovely. And um, of course, we will include a link to the in the show notes about the book and where you can purchase it and find out more about your work. And then finally, I wanted to touch on you as the astrologer. So how, because of course, you know, it's not when we talk about astrology, we're not talking about Just 17 magazine. We're talking about cultural heritage um, from a Hindu divinity and Hindu spiritual perspective. Um, so it'd be really interesting to hear more about that journey and astrology from your cultural context. Sure, thank you. It's been really interesting for me because my mom, when she was alive, was into astrology. Um, but she was into what we call horary astrology, which is the Western astrology. And that's what I grew up with. So um, I have been essentially an astrologer since about 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, so for me, it's definitely not a trend that it is now. And I've never really been into predictions. I'm very much about looking at someone's soul imprint. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it's not just Seventeen magazine or anything like that. Um, but it was hard growing up because I had this belief and this kind of, I, I believe from a spiritual perspective that I was given a gift that maybe I had from past lifetimes that was just, you know, just I had in this life and I still have an understanding that the universe and the cosmos is very much related to our physical selves and the way that our lives manifest. Um, but 
people around me didn't even respect anything that I had to say and I was sort of traumatized and abused so it was very it was a very silent private thing for me uh, very vulnerable and it's only a couple of years ago that I decided to study it formally and actually become an astrologer now the the complexity is that in in England um, there's not very many Vedic astrology schools and so when I was in Bristol I learned orary astrology but I always knew I, it was like I was waiting. Part of me was like, when you're ready, it, Vedic astrology will reveal itself to you because it's so much more complex. I mean, it's based in Hinduism, which, of course, is incredibly be beautiful and complex compared to a lot of Western cosmologies, unfortunately, at this stage. And so I started learning Vedic astrology this year, and it has changed. It's changed even the way the, the sign that I believe I am like it's changed so much fundamentally about how I view myself astrologically. It was a life-changing shift from Horary to Vedic astrology. So yeah, it's been amazing. And I've learned about Hinduism through Vedic astrology, which has been great because I never had the schooling around Hinduism, having the background that I did. So it's been wonderful. Oh, brilliant. And with Horary astrology, now my sense is, is that quite rooted in Victorian times? Whereas obviously Vedic astrology goes way back, you know, 10, 15,000 years ago. Is, am I right in thinking that? So it's it's got roots in like Greek mythology as well. There's a lot of, uh, so as far as I know, it's it's very sort of Grecian uh, with a few different cultural elements added in, but it's very, um, with horary astrology, it's like there's 12 signs and all Geminis are similar and all Capricorns are similar. Whereas in Vedic astrology, there's not just 12 signs, there's 27 nakshatras. So you could be a Gemini, but there's like three different types of Gemini that you could be. And so it's just incredibly diverse. And then there's gods that rule each nakshatra. And it's just, it's opening up a whole new realm. So yeah, the two were incredibly different. Really fascinating. Thank you for that. I thought it was really important to talk about that. And then linking to souls and in imprints and in a sense and conversations so what does this term energetic conversations mean to you as a consultant as an astrologer as a friend as a colleague I love this question thank you um so when I first met Daniel one of the first things he said to me was that he's here to help raise the frequency for, for men, actually, at that time, because he's worked a lot with men, and I've worked a lot with women, so this, this is a beautiful synergy. Um, and I remember thinking, I'm the only person I know that actually thinks like that right now, so who is this person, you know? And so we've always bonded, that's how we met, you know, we, we bonded over energy and vibration and frequency. And I know it's banded around now, you know, especially in, like, love and light culture and Western culture, but you know, we don't come from it from that angle. We want to go to the depths and the darkness. Um, but so I see energetic conversations as the energy behind the words. I'm saying words to you right now, but it's the energy that I have cultivated within me, which comes through daily. The amount of energy work I do, I can't even actually explain. It is constant. This is this is my life. This is my commitment. And so with the words that I speak, everything is very intentional and everything carries an energy it within my voice within my energy field that you may or may not be picking up on but it is very cultivated and so when we go and we um work with corporations it is all of that background that we bring rather than just what people see on the surface um and so yeah it's 
that's why we feel energetic conversations was right for us. And I think that's very scary for a lot of people. So, (laughs) so, so I think, yeah, so and different spiritual contexts, religious or non-religious will have different focuses on this. So you're right. There's the corporatization of be energy, you know, be energetic, toxic positivity, which makes me go, but then there's, I think your point about intentionalities. um, And I'm not talking about I'm laughing to myself because we had this conversation this morning with another group, you know, oh, well, I didn't mean to say that. No, 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 no. That's not what we mean by intentionality, but we mean putting your best self forward, right? And thinking about, and and also honoring how you're feeling. So if you feel low energy, you feel low in yourself, what are you going to do? And it's not to say, and this is a really big lesson for me, but not to say, right, okay, I just need to get on it and get the energy. Sometimes we have to do that, but to go, sugar I don't feel good at all I feel really awful um and how do I honor this and move move up to the level I want to be at which might not be optimum yeah yeah it's it's about being in integrity it's about being in integrity with yourself and not lying to yourself and then feeling safe enough to share it with people and seeing the impact that has on people you know, I was crying this morning, I was crying something out, you know, and I was really going for it, because I think that's one of the best healing practices that one can have, you know, and I'm lucky because I live alone. And so I can really go for it. And I, I feel privileged that I can. But I know that it's not always the same for everyone else. But you know, I was I was really upset about something. And I was I was crying it out. And I have no shame in saying that. And I feel that we all need to kind of um, cultivate that um integrity and kind of release the fear of vulnerability because there's nothing more powerful than someone just sharing what's in their heart and there is a different vibration when someone's saying this is actually what is going on for me you know it's true because you feel it in your body there's like a different vibration that goes on in your body where you're like oh they that was true and 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 also on the flip side you know when someone's lying your body knows when someone's lying because you know it's not true and like when they give you an apology it's not real you feel it in your heart you know and this is it yeah your gut sort of tells you you have a discomfort and some people choose to listen to that and some people think oh no I'm I'm freaking myself out I just need to yeah accept it so so powerful and and then thinking about the mental health and mental ill health um, and culture of course um you know from our collective South Asian backgrounds, what do you think is the biggest challenge in finding our voice in white dominated spaces? And I know you can probably only speak for yourself, but it might also come from women that you've worked with as well. Absolutely. Well, we're still healing from colonialism. I mean, that's that's the big elephant in the room. And anyone who denies that, um, sadly, is is not seeing the big picture here. And I'm talking about Indian people as well, or South Asian people, you know, there's so many deniers, you know, people who, yeah, I I won't go too much. I was going to say, well, they're all in the government, but I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) We could go really, we could go into that. But there are a lot of people who have aligned themselves with, you know, the colonizer or the colonizing energies um, for safety and for what they believe is safety, at least, which, you know, is, is an illusion, which is, you know, I, I respect that wherever, wherever they are, but that's not where a lot of us are at. And so, you know, I think um, in terms of healing mental health, I think we do need to understand the root. And a lot of it is what the, the British did in, uh, you know, India, Pakistan, you know, all of that, all of, all of that. You know, I think it's hard to 
blame the individual when you when you can't see the social constructs that have caused it. And, you know, during that 200 year period, there was so much abuse, systematic abuse, strategic abuse. And, you know, we've only come out of it in the last century and we haven't even dealt with it. I mean, most people don't even talk about it, but we carry it in our bodies. And a lot of, I believe personally, a lot of the physical things that a lot of South Asians have like diabetes, um, heart disease, it's all linked to, you know, we had famines, deliberate famines that were caused where millions of people people died. And we don't carry that in our genetics. Of course we do. Of course our bodies are reacting. So, you know, there's just so much information out there that we have access to that I think can validate why our bodies feel fight or flight, why we don't feel safe in white spaces. Our ancestors went through so much. Of course, our bodies don't feel safe. And also we go through so much. Never mind our ancestors. Racism is rife. You know, it, we have to validate that for ourselves instead of living in, in the illusion, you know, of everything's fine and I'm just going to get on with it. It's like, no, things aren't fine. It's a mess. Let's talk about it, you know. And I think there's information, but it's coming out in drips and drabs. So I didn't know about the Great Hedge of India. That was one famine measure that went that cut through India that stopped the salt going across. Millions of people died. There's a tiny trace of it. It's all been um, deleted almost. There's there's one book called The Great Hedge of India written by someone British. And I only know about it because there was a brilliant play that was touring. Um, Yeah. And we know about, you know, the fact that India isn't actually India is it's carved up into these countries. And it's the word carved. When you were talking, I was thinking about carved up and how we are carved up and how we've been pitted against each other and how this is a fake construct. And I know that people will say, well, you know, this is what religions do, but actually... I don't think it is. And I think that we lived happily side by side, respecting the plurality and the differences. Um, And I think what's happening in India, and I'm not an expert on Indian politics, but breaks my soul into pieces because it's playing into what you're saying, this kind of colonial, what I call a colonial hangover. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely an energy. It's, it's this energy. It's, you know, people say colonialism isn't happening anymore. Oh, the energy is still playing out every single day within us, never mind in our governments within. I mean, it, it breaks my heart to see India, Indian politics, you know, and, and, and even here, the people that have essentially sold their souls, you know, to the colonial energy and they would kick out their own cousin or their own granddad or, you know, whoever um, for their own seeming safety, you know, and it's, it's terrible, you know. And it's scary. And I was talking to another colleague and she said the energy of the world is in a particular place. And in two years, it will start to change, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. Um, I believe many of us are here to change the energy. And that's our that's our gift. That's our role. And, And I know for me, I have always felt that way. Even as a child, I was very aware of um, the problems of the world, even when my mum was alive. So at the age of seven, I knew that tigers were going extinct in India. Like there was no internet, there was only TV, but I was like, give money to them right now. <laughs> I was just like very direct, like we need to do this. And so for me, I've always been like, I, I'm i here to help. I know that. And I know there are so many people that are here to help. And I think we are slowly changing the energy of the world. And I think one of the best ways that I have found that works is kind of, um, and I know a lot of people do this, but to unhook from like really unhealthy, um, firstly relationships, but also narratives. So I haven't watched the news for years. You know, I, I don't, even on my social media, like I do have certain news coming through, but it's through very 
is through ways that don't exacerbate my nervous system and put me into fight or flight, because that's essentially what the news is intended to do, is to freeze you so that you feel helpless. And so I don't want to feel helpless. I want to help. But I can't do that if I'm reading all of this negative news, because also I forget that there's good stuff going on. But every negative news story, there is um, so many good things that are happening. You know, even our conversation today, this won't be on the news, but it's like this is still healing and building connections and community, you know, but it, it just goes under the radar. So I do believe that the energy is shifting and that's what many of us are here to do. No, thank you, Maya. And so going back to workplaces, then how can workplaces recognize that they need to heal? And it's that word heal, not do a training session, not tick boxing, the racial, gender and mental health dynamic, because I, I think you can and you can keep adding to that. So I think it's like a big flower. Um, but yeah, if we take those three aspects, first of all. So I would go as far as to say that any healthy workplace would just assume that they need healing. You know, it's like any white person assumes that there's racism within them or any brown person assumes that we have racism towards black people and whatever was conditioned into us. You know, I think I think to assume that people or corporations don't need healing, I think that's way unhealthier. So I think the baseline is basically like do, not do we need it, but we need it. How do we go about it? You know, I think I think there's no choice, I, you know, because we're not robots. We're people. We've been conditioned with so many different so much crap and we're playing it out and companies need to realize that we don't just log out of our feelings when we come into work like if we're carrying grief we're carrying grief into our work if we're carrying misogyny that's definitely going to play out into into work you know so it's for me it's like how what's your capacity to transform which means how much of your discomfort are you willing to sit in and I think what me and Daniel do, we are for people that want to sit in their discomfort. And, you know, if, if someone came to me and they, I could sense that they weren't ready, we, we wouldn't work with them because I think it would be too dangerous for them to be, for us to invite them to go further than they were capable of because we go really deep. But I do think people need to expand their capacity to go deep. I think that's a muscle that we all need to do. We need to sit in our shame, sit in our darkness and like really, really sit in the the maggots that lie underneath the surface because that shines a light on it and it clears it up. So I think all companies need change, but people need to be self-aware. Leaders need to be self-aware about how much they can handle, which tier of change can they handle. Um, and I know that it's going to be people who are like, oh, we we just need the, you know, the, the surface level. Fine. But if you think the, the uh, problem is going to go away, it won't. And you'll just be back here next year. You know. Um, one thing I've learned is I can't force people and so they have to come to us willingly um, otherwise it's going to be a real uphill struggle and I think most organizations would be deeply uncomfortable with the word healing it's like no we just need awareness <laughs> we just need education and someone said to me we just need more awareness I was like do you? No. I don't think you do. I think you've had enough awareness. What can I tell you that you don't already know or couldn't find out? It's like, just tell us what to do. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work though, is it? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I still feel that people are so frightened of discomfort, especially people from majority backgrounds. However, we define majority who are close to power. It's just like, why would I do this? I don't want to do this. And for those of us who have to be uncomfortable every day for whatever reason, it's like, really, we have to do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and that's the thing. I feel like people who ask 
to be informed or people who are like, yeah, I just want to be more aware. They keep their, it's all very here. It's very intellectual. So I'm, I'm pointing at my head. Um, it's all very intellectual and it's, it's, not in the, it's not felt in the body. So they keep it very cerebral, but they don't go any deeper and feel the shame, feel the discomfort, feel the grief that they have lost out. They have lost their humanity for a while, you know, while they've been acting in these ways. And so um, I think there's a massive fear about the word healing because I think some people keep it so cerebral that it's almost like a scientific thing that they need to do. And it's like, no, no, no. Racism and sexism is illogical and it's emotional. So you have to deal with it on an emotional and energetic level. You cannot just talk your way through racism and sexism. It is a body-based, illogical, emotional thing. So we have to look at it like that. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, and we know that this work has, you know, is exhausting for us a lot of the time. Some people say to me, no, it's not at all. But I, uh, so, but I'd love to know how you look after your own mental health with all the work that you do and what are your top three tips? Sure. So I think it's imperative and it is exhausting. And for those people who don't find it exhausting, I mean, that's great. But I, I personally do, you know, because it, it, it takes so much. It, you have to dig into your own trauma to actually do the work because we've lived it, we still live it. Um, so I would say be very regimented and, and boundaried around mental health and around looking after yourself. So boundaries, boundaries are like my go-to thing. I'm very keen on boundaries. So saying no, if someone is encroaching on your boundaries, if someone is trying to siphon your energy, whether that be relationships, family, friends, workplaces you know there's ways to be boundaried and protect your peace in a way that is not aggressive but is assertive so I believe like learning phrases that work for you that that you don't feel like you're being aggressive but you're it, it's healthy you're not pushing anyone too far but you are very firmly stating your boundaries I think that's the first thing because that has been I mean cutting out a lot of toxic relationships have been about boundaries and that's I've never been happier since I've actually released some of these relationships and I'm talking family members. So number two would be, don't be afraid. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but don't be afraid of loss. I think loss creates growth. Uh, loss creates opportunities for growth. If you look at mother earth and that's where I get a lot of my lessons from, you know, winter, it's like, Oh, everything's gone. And you know, the trees are bare, but then spring comes, you know, and, if you are not afraid to cut out what doesn't work for you, whether that be relationships, places, workplaces, whatever, you are inviting an energetic space for something that matches you where you're at to come through. Otherwise, you're not. And so what's waiting for you can't actually get in because you're filling it with these toxic relationships that make you feel crap about yourself. And so I think it does call for courage. You know, and, you know, not everyone will resonate with what I'm saying. But for me, I've never been happier since not talking to certain people in my family. And, and I have to make that clear that it's my truth, you know, and it's sad. It's been there have been tears, but it but it's my truth because I'm happier. <laughs> so I can't deny that I'm happier, you know. So I think not denying. So the last thing I would say is not denying your intuition or your truth. You know, um, I know you mentioned earlier, like some people get this kind of gut feeling and then they're like, oh, my God, like I what if it's not real? I would say validate that every time it comes through, no matter how silly it seems, just validate it. Show compassion for yourself. Be curious about what your body and your mind is trying to tell you. 
And, you know, our intuition is something we're all born with, but we're conditioned out of it because if we were to follow our intuition, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in in this world, you know? So people who are in power, there is a fear of, of our intuition and our gifts and abilities that, you know, are from maybe other, uh, I would say realms or just unseen worlds that we're tapping into, just like astrology. And it scares, it scares those who are in power. And But I think it's the best revolution to actually tap into intuition and your heart. Oh, Maya, that was beautiful. And I always love asking that question because every guest gives such a different answer. It's awesome. So finally, if people want to know more about you and to work with you, I will, of course, include everything in the show notes, but please do let them know how to connect with you and find out more. Sure. So my website is www.mayakalaria.com, M-A-Y-A-K-A-L-A-R-I-A. And um, if you want to work with Energetic Conversations, which is our consultancy, it's www.energetic-conversations.com. And yeah, feel free to email me. Um, my email address is on the website as well. Um, but if you if you need it now, it's myaclaria at gmail.com. So feel free to email me and I can help you out. But yeah, I'm, I'm available through those channels. Thank you so much. What an amazing conversation. I've learned so, so much. Um, I really appreciate your kindness and your wisdom and everything that you've shared and your openness, Maya. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share it and for holding such a kind warm space for me to share what's in my heart. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And listeners, take care and come and join us in the next episode to jump up January and we'll see you soon. Until then, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.